Welcome back to Immortal X-Friends, a conversation podcast about X-Men Red, issue one, written by Al Ewing, art by Stefano Caselli. Uh, we are we are excited. I am Cody. I'm Riley. And we are really excited to break down this uh, this issue today. Um, this is the uh, the second book, uh, second new book, completely in the new uh, Destiny of X line. Uh, Riley and I both read it today. We have not talked about our thoughts with this, so this is this is going to be kind of off the cuff, um, talking about what's going on. Riley, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. This is a good day. <laughs> Happy Comic Book Wednesday. Riley, gut check reaction. How you feeling about X-Men Red? Um, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Um, so this is one of the books that I've most been excited about, most yeah. curious about since the line mm-hmm. of, of new books was announced several months ago. Um, I think I speak for both of us when I say I, we're both very interested in these, um, these government systems that yeah. are being set up. Um, and with... Um, Planet Araco being so different from Krakoa and after Ten of Swords and just all of their, their culture and just being really rough around the edges. I think the council that they have on Planet Araco was something I was very curious to see more about. So this, this book in particular has been very exciting. Um, I've been looking forward to this book in particular. So it was very fun to read it today. Um, it's not always that I feel like really stoked the night before, like tomorrow is the day. I think you know? I got a text from you at about 10 PM mm-hmm. saying X-Men red. That was yeah. it. Just in all caps, mm-hmm. um, which was, which was fun knowing where your head was at. I, I completely agree. I, I actually, I really enjoyed this book. I will say it was much different than I anticipated it. Um, I feel like with both immortal X-Men and X-Men red, these are books that you and I have both wanted for a long time. Yeah. Even before we knew that they existed in this current form. Like, I've I've been reading this longer than you. You mm-hmm. jumped in more recently, but yeah. I remember even once you started reading, talking like, okay, where is the Quiet Council book? Why mm-hmm. was Hickman not writing that while writing the main line? Yeah. Where was the Araco book after Ten of Swords? And it's it's been about a year and a half yeah since ten of swords ended and we are now it's been it's been a little less than a year since um planet sized x-men mm-hmm. but that we're now getting truly the Araco book right um which i am i'm here for i'm excited i'm excited to talk with you about it today um because yeah i think there's i think there's a lot to break down i think there's a lot of exciting threads um i sword sword issue number one was one of my favorite moments of of the entire Krakoa era so far, mm-hmm. and so I think I had a, I had a lot of expectations going into this. Yeah, and Ewing definitely I think delivered, um, but in a different way than I I expected. So I think this is our first time kind of breaking down an actual issue live. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm 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 curious to see how we do this, but. So you have your issue open. Um, yeah. I guess we can just get right into it. It opens up on um, what appears to be Storm fighting herself. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being another mutant, right? Uh, a shape-shifting mutant who apparently Storm had to fight yeah. in order to gain her, her, her regency. Her seed on the... Which, yeah. which is fun. We've seen 
the I think this is I, I will say though something that did I did roll my eyes as soon as I opened the issue I think this is the fourth or fifth time that we have seen Storm like hand to hand combat fight someone mm-hmm. in in this entire in, uh, yeah. and recently too like Ewing has written this scene already in Sword like one of the last issues of Sword is her fighting Tarn. And then, like, an issue of Marauders, like, just before that was her fighting someone else. And then yeah. she fought Callisto. So, like, we've, we've seen this a lot recently. We have. I did, I did really enjoy where this issue took this story of her opening with, you know, you see this entire scene, this battle um, that, as you said, we've in a way seen a way, before. Yeah. But then the twist of it being that this is her her memory that she's kind of lost in her own thoughts as she sits in her seat on the council, mm-hmm. um, kind of giving the idea that this is something that has not easily been accepted, that she's still kind of grappling with some thoughts and feelings about how, how this all went down. Um, and then it kind of leads us through that, the whole story of this issue that, she doesn't want to be called queen. You know, she is not easily accepting of the throne. And I really like that this opens with this this battle scene that is very familiar, but then kind of takes it in a different direction that this is obviously something that she's grappling with. I, I think that that was the thread that this issue chose to be throughout. Um, and we don't just see it with her. We see it with, uh, we see it with Vulcan, mm. like, but wanting to be a king. Yeah. We see it with Sunspot, but wanting to be a businessman. We see it with Magneto also like rejecting royalty of some sort. Mm-hmm. So I think that was really cool, and I completely agree, where this issue kind of being at the heart of people telling Storm who she is, yeah. saying your majesty, saying queen, and then it ending with her literally like destroying a throne. Mm-hmm. Um, it is It is a much... This I think this is like the best version of Storm that I could have wanted to leave yeah. this book. And it I I feel like it makes her Marauder's journey seem really worth it. Yeah. Of of this discovery for her. Yeah, and I think that this whole issue with how these different characters are experiencing things and kind of what their desires are or where they are in this moment is is very cool. I love how character-driven this issue was. And for that reason, it, it's very unexpected that this issue was that way. Yeah. Um, you almost expect that this issue is going to be more similar to a Mortal X-Men issue one, where yeah. it's this group of very unlikely, very rough-around-the-edges mutants sitting in this council chamber, like kind of rejecting Storm, begrudgingly having to accept that she's their regent and stuff like that. Um, And in a way, that's kind of the book that I wanted this to be. But I think that this is going to be a very cool way to introduce all of those elements rather than just being very on the nose. Um, I think so too. I think, especially coming off of Immortal X-Men last week and seeing so much council... Almost all of the council stuff in this happened off off panel. Mm-hmm. We get the we get the voting record, and right. it was also though we saw that same scene. What was cool is we've seen a lot of storm in other books, and even this one felt like a direct continuation of was it X Men eight nine a few weeks ago that we really liked. 
Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's where we yes. saw those council scenes mm-hmm. and that rejection. And so seeing this is kind of a direct continuation of that, I thought yeah. was really cool. Um, and, and it definitely set itself apart from, from Immortal and from, from Storm's other appearances so far. Yeah. I should say for context, um, Cody has been reading this era of X-Men since House and Powers of Ten began um, in 2018? 2019. 2019. 2019. Yeah. Um, and at that time, it's funny, we would make comic book runs to the our local shop, and he would be just nerding out at these <laughs> issues that were coming out. And I would just be along for the ride, just like this guy, this guy, this books. Um, so he's been on this, this ride since the very beginning, but um, I have read every issue in the last probably year. Yeah. Um, so what, you know, is strikes me as being very interesting is that as you said before that it, it kind of like, why isn't there a, you know, an Iraqi council book yeah. post 10 of swords and stuff. Um, for me, you know, I read 10 of swords for the first like time, November. like six months ago. Yeah. You know, and so my my <laughs> wait and wondering about these things hasn't been quite as long. Um, but what is what I'm really happy about is being able to now read some of these books as they come out issue by issue and have those discussions like this one and like wondering where this is going to mm-hmm. go next because I didn't have quite so much of a weight of like, well, the Quiet Council seems like it's a really important aspect of this era, but it only kind of shows up for a page yeah. in every other issue of mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so it, it's very cool um, to be reading X-Men Red at the time that it's coming out and Immortal X-Men at the time that it's coming out. Um, so I'm very excited to see how some of these personal character journeys are going to start fitting in with these elements that we've been curious about since Ten of Swords came out or, or whatever it might be. Um, I should highlight that, you know, my I think my favorite part of this whole issue is actually a data page. Okay. Um, and uh, it, it comes in the form of the, the Iraqi Council the voting. voting page? Yeah. Um, I just, I really loved the little bits of information that this, this page provides, um, that we don't have to see the entire scene. And, and even if we did see the actual voting itself, we probably wouldn't get all of the information that we get from the data page. Um, so there are a lot of things that I love about this. And as we have talked about before, um, one of my favorite aspects of these books has been the underlying tensions of things or something that you know is waiting in the wings um, and you're just not sure when it's going to pop up and be important, right? And that's that's something I love so much with Moira being always kind of looming in the first couple of um, eras of this, uh, mm-hmm. of this time with the X-Men books. Um, but I loved that some of these, these paragraphs that we read... Um, you know, for, uh, for idol is, yeah. is that how we're pronouncing her name? I think so. Um, so in her paragraph, you know, just the one sentence, she knows which of the great ring will kill her. You know, these, these little things are, you know, I remember these as being really intriguing moments of like, when is this going to come up? When yeah. is this going to be really important? Um, and just because like these mutants are all Iraqi and they've been fighting, you know, for generations and they've been alive for 
thousands and thousands of years, we still have the same kind of intrigue that we get in The Quiet Council where Emma Frost and um, and all of her other fellow council members, they sure, they work together, but, you know. But there's, there's history and there's tension. And uh, this has that same tension that like the Sinister Secrets page has. Yeah. But we're also seeing it in the form of a vote. And I mm-hmm. think that's really cool. And I think Ewing did a great job doing the same mechanic in Sword, mm-hmm. where he would have like the personal notes of Abigail Brand right. that would reveal something about characters, but also reveal, oh, hey, this lady has a secret agenda going on too. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of got this, I got similar vibes with the way that he used um, the data page in this where it is it's still showing it's like this is this is an actual record i feel Mm -hmm. like some of the authors more recently have gotten a little loosey with Mm -hmm. data pages yeah and especially especially coming off of uh x lives x deaths of wolverine where there Mm -hmm. was just full scenes or full kind of fluffy nonsense that did not really add seeing a data page used as an actual like this is a document that mm-hmm. exists in this universe and now you can see what it is and it also tells you about the stories and the characters and then has a box at the bottom that says the opinion of the night seats is unrecorded right like it's it's stuff like that that just i think is is the fun world building that just slowly continues to grow yeah um, that this book really leaned into while still focusing on the characters that it chose to yeah and i you know don't get me wrong i love when the data pages are silly things like the menu at the starlight citadel yes kind of sorts like they don't all have to be some insane you know crazy amount of detail or foreshadowing mm-hmm. thing but it, it's so fun when the data pages have little bits of world building and these things may never come into direct play mm-hmm. but just like establishing that now we know just from one sentence that there's this underlying tension between these two council members that we yeah. know that something is up and who is it which one of them is it you know and when will it occur um I also, there was something that popped out to me. Uh, one other thing I think is worth bringing up. Um, on me, the data page? Yeah, yeah. On one of the, one of the data pages. Um, Lactuka. Lactuka sits in the seat of above us. Um, her, her small few sentence thing says, she does not talk to space, she sings. And when I read that, it reminded me of a moment. I don't even know where this moment occurs, if it was even, you know, recent. But um, somebody refers to Manifold as being a mutant that talks to space. Yeah, that was Ewing also. Yeah. And Sword, yeah. Just that that little detail, that little callback. And it makes so much sense that it would be the same author. But it's just these, like, so Krakoa has a mutant and... Araco has a mutant and these things just intertwine so well. It's just so fun when these little callbacks like this happen. It's it's really fun and um it's it it's those callbacks that make me really excited for this series and mm-hmm. seeing where it's going. Um and while Storm is definitely front and center and we're seeing her struggles with being the regent versus being a queen, mm-hmm. um I think the other the other main story and I think main individual and our our favorite our favorite resident war hero uh, that I want to talk about is Magneto. Oh, yeah. And 
the Magneto part of this book, it's one of those things where it's like when Magneto <laughs> says, I'm retiring to Mars, mm-hmm. you hear that and you're like, okay, like what's going to happen? But he's literally retiring to Mars. Yeah. He went, he found an isolated desert. He's feeling <clears throat> scorned and ashamed, I think, from, from the events of Trial of Magneto, from the events of Inferno, and is like, I, my dream is not coming to pass. Mm-hmm. Others will have to carry it on. And I think what I really respect about Magneto is he's, he's doing what I don't think Xavier ever could mm-hmm. in this current era. Yeah. Like he's, he is stepping down and he is moving here. And I, I gotta say, I'm always, I'm still surprised too. There's been a lot of like Magneto using squid architecture. There's a lot of that in his giant size X-Men issue mm-hmm. too with like the Namor palace and even what he ended up building for Emma Frost and even his own keep. Yeah. That mystique infiltrates. Like Magneto has a lot of squid architecture. Yeah, I don't know what that's calling back to, but yeah. I I definitely smiled when I saw that his his metal palace had squid arms again. Which just way to go. Like the guy knows yeah. what he likes, and it is chrome and and squiddy. But um, <laughs> I chrome and squiddy. I thought that this this was a very different place than I imagined. Magneto would be mm-hmm. but especially reading it I feel kind of silly thinking he would be doing anything else yeah I mean my best guess was you know as we're finding out that Magneto is going to retire to Mars you know the the first thought is like this dude is going to go to a place where the mutants are are tough, tough. and unrelenting and all of a sudden any of the you know, we're going to get old school Magneto back yeah. that he's going to be with his and, people. And that Araco would essentially become the new asteroid M. Right. The new Genosha. Mm-hmm. Um, we imagined, you know, and I think it's pretty easy to imagine that he's going to feel right at home with yeah. all of these mutants that are very unrelenting in who they are and the things that they believe like weak and soft being so many of the words used by some of the Iraqi mutants. Um, and so I think that is kind of why it's so fun to read this issue and see that it's maybe not going to be that at all. No, especially when the first person that he comes across, like, probably doesn't even have any powers. Yeah. Which was established. And and, it, and I loved the fact that it, it shows Magneto's utter shock at that. Utter shock. I'm looking at that right now. You're human? Yeah. And just the guy being, no, I'm not. But... Like, there's a big chance that the Fisher King, this character that's introduced, that Magneto sees fishing on this deserted island who's kind of an outcast of the Iraqi themselves, it looks like. Like, I'm, I'm very excited that his first buddy is not an Omega. Mm-hmm. It's not Tarn, the uncaring. Yeah. It's this, it's this fisherman just on the edge of, of this world, and I think that is so fun. Uh, especially where it's like Magneto is one of the main ones in Planet Size who builds this world. Yeah, and getting to see the fruit of his labor while the dream of Krakoa and Moira failed. I, yeah, it was it was a very a very fitting mm-hmm. issue, and I'm excited to see where he goes. Yeah, I think it it just challenges Magneto's character. Mm-hmm. You, it has to, you know, his whole worldview is that you know mutants are superior and we need to take our place above mutant or humans and it's you know he has 
a long history of being scornful at yeah. humanity. So it is so fun to see like his first buddy be someone who kind of challenges his entire worldview. It's not where I expected this issue to it's go. It's not where all. I expected it to go at all. And just, I know we're now jumping ahead to the end of the issue and we can go back and talk about it, but kind of this ragtag crew that starts to form between Storm, Magneto, mm-hmm. uh, Sunspot, and the Fisher King. Yeah. Like, that, that is a very exciting place. And I think I think that's what took me most off guard because when you're reading Sword Number 1, which I know I keep comparing it to Ewing's other one, but it's like, that was such like, this is how these systems operate. These are how these people are. And this book almost felt like more of a deconstruction of that. Mm-hmm. Of like, hey, how do you get to these systems? And Storm is truly like, She's the anti-Abigail brand. Yeah. She doesn't want power. She doesn't want manipulation. She wants everything out in the open. Mm-hmm. And now she's starting... It ends. It ends. The big, the big tease mm-hmm. is that she's saying, we're starting the Brotherhood. Yeah. Because she knows that Brand's going to start the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And what a way to end it. Storm is also rocking some abs. Mm-hmm. Like, like... They've also made a big point. Storm is one of the only mutants in this era who has not died. Yeah. At all. Mm-hmm. So, girl didn't pull a Quentin Choir and ask for ab upgrades. Yeah. Like she's, she has honed those. And just an aside, I, I just love the, the artistic design choice that her hair is going to be modeled like it's a cloud. Yeah. It's, it's just such a fun little, like... They didn't need to do that, but it's just such a fun design element. I really love that about their choice. Um, Storm and Magneto, um, the most that I think of these two interacting actually comes from Gillen's run on X-Men, like before this, when he was doing Uncanny hmm. in the lead up to uh, AVX. But like that they were on Cyclops's extinction team then, and I think that was the most that we got to see them interact, but like the Storm Magneto pairing is it's a very cool pairing. That is a very exciting pairing um, that, you know, 20 years ago would not work right. on, on paper at all. And, but now seeing them in the same room and seeing them both kind of the, the wild cards of this era on a completely different side of like where Scott and Jean are right now is, is, is an exciting prospect, I think. Right, yeah. Yeah, there's so many little things that they're going for that are not what I would have predicted, mm-hmm. and it's just so fun. Um, let's let's talk about the. I feel like we'll get to Brand in a minute. Let's talk about the uh, the Summers brother of yeah. this all. Let's talk about Vulcan. How familiar, Riley, are you with Vulcan's time as? the god emperor of the Shi'ar people. I am not familiar with this at Was that all. a shock to read, or this, had yeah. you picked up on that from the Hickman issues at all? Um, I, I may have yeah. picked up on some of these things from the Hickman issues, but it's been so long and yeah. so many issues since I read those. So, um, yeah, a lot of this was very surprising. A lot of, you know, plot threads beginning that I wouldn't have expected. Um, I'm, I'm hoping this summer that you can give 2000s Marvel Cosmic another chance mm-hmm. that we can talk about this. But 
Um, Vulcan's rise uh, is, is chronicled in the, the rise and fall of the Shi'ar Empire coming out of Deadly Genesis, where basically before like the classic um, giant-sized X-Men number one came out that introduced Storm and Wolverine, mm-hmm. and there, there was a secret chapter where when the original X-Men were captured, Xavier sends another team led by Vulcan to mm-hmm. Krakoa. Right. And and everything spins out of that. And then when uh after House of M, when Vulcan comes back, he's uh he's mad, he's pissed. Yeah. And then he goes and takes over the Shi'ar. Um this you would have you would have realized this if you finished reading Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning's Guardians of the Galaxy. Well but, I should say that I loved a lot of things about uh, about that Guardians of the Galaxy run, but the thing that really bothered me about it the most is that every time I started reading it, I tended to fall asleep. So, um, <laughs> so that, I will, that, yeah. I will certainly give it another chance, but maybe it just wasn't the right. What time I'm saying for me is that that is it. the only reason why I had any inkling of the Vulcan thing mm-hmm. to begin with, because. Yeah. He is he is a peripheral character in that run, but he's he's very involved in the the War of Kings, Realm of Kings thing. Yeah. But regardless, in this, I really, I th- I I think it's super interesting having a character just like boldly call out like, "Well, I'm I'm part of the Summers family. Right. I am, I'm Krakoan royalty. I have clout. I <laughs> which, love that. Which I feel like both Cyclops and Havoc." would be especially ashamed mm. if they knew that this was going on. Right. Especially because Vulcan is the is the black sheep of the Summers family. Mm-hmm. But then then our boy Cable comes back in though mm-hmm. and just I think exudes the type of Summers confidence that I really like to see Cable show. But mm-hmm. Every time we see him in this issue, he is at Abigail Brand's side. Yeah. And I don't know how I feel about him being her lieutenant, especially knowing that she is openly meeting with Orcus. Yeah. Does that make you trust Brand more or less? Uh, I don't know. I'm just conflicted about it, just knowing... (laughs) I just I love Cable so much as a character, and just knowing that he's kind of in the dark on some of these things. Um, I know How much that, do you think he knows? Like, just like like odds right now. Like, does does Cable from the future does he know what's going on? I don't think he knows. Yeah. At least I don't think we've given enough been given enough information to say that he he like suspects that he really has an inclination that something's going that she's on. She's being shady. Um, I think that. It seems to me that he is—he believes so much in what they're doing that he's willing to follow Brand's lead. And okay, but you know, as as is always fun with these stories, you know, we the reader know that something is up before the characters do, and we're just waiting for that yeah. that shoe to drop. So, um, but I am excited to see more of Cable, though. I'm excited to see more of Cable. I am. I am very. I'm very interested to see to see how he fits into all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess some of my, not even closing thoughts, but I guess we can start to start to wrap it up. Uh, for me, this, this really follows the five stories of, of Storm, Magneto, Sunspot, Vulcan, and Abigail Brand. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are going to be our five centric characters, which is really exciting. 
but I will be honest, I'm already missing the sword cast. Yeah. Like, like as mm-hmm. much as I love all of them, I feel like I've, I've gotten good Magneto stories. I've gotten good Storm stories. I've gotten even good um, Sunspot stories. Yeah. That I, I'm really sad to not see more of Manifold or Frenzy or Wizkid. Like, mm-hmm. I, and I'm, ho- I'm sure they will find a place in this. Yeah. Um, but there's a few issues. This and Marauders, which also came out today. And Psylocke is in that and the rest of the Hellions are not, mm-hmm. that just this, I'm very excited for this, but I'm definitely feeling some some mourning on yeah. Hellions and Sword this week. Yeah, yeah. Those books both being so fun. Um, yeah, I, uh, I agree with your thoughts about these characters that are going to be central to this. Um, I, I noticed that on the front cover of at least the, uh, the standard cover, um, you have brand kind of looming over these characters in the background. And I, I think that that was a, a really intentional choice that, you know, we know that brand is up to something, not only with this idea that she's going to create this X-Men team for planet Araco, yeah. but also that we know that she's working with Orcus. So I think it's going to be really cool to see this underlying tension and, and how, how sinister does brand get, how open is she about it and how much does she kind of loom over these characters, especially if, you know, we have this kind of brotherhood versus X-Men, a Rocky book. Yeah. It's going to be really fun to see the next few issues. I think so too. I, I think this one definitely, I feel very justified in our excitement and anticipation of this book. And, um, this, yeah, I think, I think this is going to be a very exciting exciting few months yeah. of, of this arriving and we don't even have to wait uh, issue 2 comes out weeks. at the end of the month April yeah. 27th so yeah. we will not have to wait long to see Vulcan I have not noticed if um, Immortal X-Men or Marauders did this as well but at the back of the issue where we have the tease of what comes next it looks like they have abandoned um, having the script in Krakoan up mm-hmm. top and just put in parentheses, what's happening, right. which I, I don't have an opinion on that. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. It is worth noticing that some of these, some of the design layouts for some of these pages have changed. Some um, of the designs changed. That's um, cool. It's cool. You know, it's, a new, it a feels new like era. It's moving forward. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like they're, they're still giving, um, Oh man, uh, Tom Muller, I, or Hello Muller is his his tag on Instagram and everything, the designer for all of the logos. I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name, uh, but he he's give he's I feel like he's being given more of a chance to shine on yeah. some of these pages as well. The, yeah. All of the symbols just laid out look amazing mm-hmm. on the back page. Uh, and then I've been really digging his his variant covers. Yeah, the connected uh, covers is just such a cool choice. Yeah, and he he really pushed for it. It looks like I follow him on Instagram. He was talking about how he really wanted the um, the sales boxes to mm-hmm. be back in the upper left corner. Yeah, and Marvel adopting that, I think, it looks really cool. It and, is and clean and crisp, and I'm hoping that some of the future whether it's Omnis or hardcovers, adopt some of that stylistically as yeah. well, which his X-Men books already have. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, I think my biggest thread that I'm hoping to see um, in issue two, uh, it's a it's a very minute little detail, but at one point, in in spite of Magneto having all of this inner turmoil and, and things happening, uh, as Sunspot walks in, uh, our boy Mags tells him that he needs to tuck in his shirt. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm interested in seeing how Magneto moves forward with some of his old school, like, hey, you need to look presentable, Roberto, like, yeah, I am, I, we'll I am, see if Sunspot tucks in his shirt in issue I am very interested to see. I, I do not have high hopes for, for Sunspot tucking in his shirt, yeah. but I, I am excited to see Magneto and Storm kind of class up Baraka mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, which, see if uh, Storm can get Magneto into some punk gear. I, I think that will be... Oh man! If Show they, off some of those Magneto apps. We know what if has. what if they're just all building up to a Mad Max mm-hmm. joke? Yeah, that honestly worth it. I'm here for it. Yeah, uh, there's probably a lot of deserts on Morocco. I think so. Red deserts. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick up X Men Red in comics uh, stores now. Uh, it's we, very fun. We really enjoyed it, and uh, we will. Yeah, this is one of the books that we'll be following when it yeah. comes out. So stay tuned for more X Men Red. Um, I'm Cody. I'm Riley. Thanks for listening to Immortal X-Friends. We will talk to you soon. Goodbye.